You're listening to Reading Glasses, a show about book culture and literary life designed to help you read better. I'm author, filmmaker, and book devourer, Mallory O'Mara. And I'm Bria Grant, actress, TV director, Woo! and e-reader. Bria just got back from Bulgaria directing a TV show. Yeah, watch Pandora on the CW. Um, this episode, we're talking about exactly what a publisher does. But first, what are you reading, Bria? Oh, man. So I was in Bulgaria for three full weeks. I'm acutely aware. Uh, actually, more. Like, almost a month. Yeah, you were gone for a like while. Like, three and a half weeks. Um, and so I read a lot of books. And I was just lamenting to you. I don't know if that's the right word. But I was talking about how annoyed I was that I kept starting books. And I was like, okay, this is going to be a great mystery. It's going to get my brain distracted. And then it would, like, not be good. And then I started, like, another book. It was like, oh, it has, like, a complicated plot. And it's going to be great. And it was not good. And, like, I just... It wasn't maybe they weren't good. They were like, I couldn't pay attention to them. And they yeah, were just It might just not be me. the right book at the right time. Exactly is what was happening because my brain was really full. And then I'm just going to talk about the best book I read while I was there, which I know everyone is reading this book, but I'm going to talk about it anyway. Um, and then I picked up Nickel Boys by Colson Whitehead. And yeah. it was so good. And it was that breath of relief where you go, ah, this is what like good writing is. Nice. Like you read it and you're like, this is what... It means to be really into a book. Like before I was like really forcing it. It was very square peg round hole. Like I was like, okay, I'm going to read this book and I'm going to read it every night. I'm going to get into it. And it was just like, I can't fucking read these books. And then when you keep going on on shitty Tinder dates and then you meet the one. It's true. I guess. Um, I've never been on a Tinder date. I don't recommend it. I've seen Tinder. (laughs) (laughs) I've seen it. I'm familiar with it. people using it. I'm too old. Um, I'm not too old. Anyway, God bless Colson. Tell me, tell, what is it, what's it about? <laughs> okay, so if you haven't heard about it, I feel like a lot, I'm probably everyone's talking about it, but I'll tell everyone anyway. Okay, so Nickel Boys is about, um, it's basically a fictionalized version of a school that actually did exist in the 1950s, 1960s. It was like a school for boys who had gotten in trouble in some way or like their parents couldn't afford to take care of them. Um like there's like a, like a number of reasons you might end up there. Everything from like a huge offense to you know oh you got caught at school and pe- and you know stealing something or something like something very minor. Um, but your parents were not rich or you were a person of color and you ended up in like one of these schools for boys. And um, I was listening to an interview with the author and he was talking about how. Uh, he read a story about one of these schools and they basically dug up the back of the school and they found all these skeleton, like skeleton bones and stuff. Is it spooky? It's not spooky, no. but it is scary. You know what I mean? Okay. Like it's scary for reasons of reality reasons. Yeah. It's, so the, it's not like ghost scary. It's like murderer scary. Right, right, right. And uh, so the main character is um, a black teenager. He's not 18 because you can't be 18 at the school um, who in the South who is going, who ends up at this school because he's like, he's going to go, he's literally on his way to college and he hitched a ride with like the wrong person. And it's just his story being at the school and trying to survive being at this school without, I mean, everyone got like beat, like super beat all the time, beat, like beat by the people in charge. But the whole goal is like not to end up dead because you find out that people are dying. Jesus. They like disappear. So it's just, and it's a, it's a short book and it's just so well written that you're like, oh right, this is what it, feels like to actually read a great book like you open it up in that romantic interlude starts uh, it playing. was just such a what a wonderful Every, dream like vaseline goes over your the lens <laughs> my hair starts flowing in a yeah. fan <laughs> everything the pages start flowing like, everything's in fluttering. slow motion for some reason <laughs> what That's are you reading awesome. uh so i just picked up a book that i bought a hundred percent on the cover alone because remember recently i was like i shouldn't buy books well <laughs> <laughs> broken 
I was doing really well for a while, and then me and Jeremy went on a date to Romans, which is one of my favorite bookstores in L.A., all, even though it's in Pasadena, and I went on a spree, and I picked up this book in the YA section. It's called Wilder Girls by Rory Power, mm. and the cover is – I picked it up 100% based on the cover alone. It, like The cover is like a picture of a girl, and it looks like her face is unraveling and all these – plants are growing out from where her face is unraveling and i was like "Ooh, spooky. Oh, that's a cool cover and it's supposed to be like a very feminist lord of the flies oh. i'm not that far into it but it's about like uh there's these three girls and they're living in quarantine on their island uh because there's some sort of disease going around it's called the tox Ooh. and um they are slowly starting to realize that the reason why they're confined isn't what they think it is and, oh, yeah. that sounds great. Yeah, it's a debut, and it is really good so far. Hoping it gets spookier. Uh, so that, that's The Wilder Girls by Rory Power. And mine is The Nickel Boys. <laughs> the Wilder Girls and the Nickel Boys. <laughs> <laughs> this is a band that I would listen to. <laughs> Mike Colson White. Uh, sorry, folks. Uh, Sean is not reading anything new. We are, but we're, he did go to Alaska. Sean, Sean went to an Alaskan cruise, but he did not read anything while he was there. He you, finished everything. Did you like the Goblin book? Loved it. Oh, okay, good to know. So, Sean, Two like, up. here, tell everyone that you. I know. Yeah, Mallory the Tacky Goblin book. was an excellent book uh, for me, at least. It was uh, pretty dark, and it was times I. Actually, I read a lot of it when I was waiting in the DMV line, and I burst out laughing multiple times. Oh, wow. So I was the crazy person in the DMV line. Well done, Sean. Good book. Five out of five DMV laughs. Five out of five DMV laughs. We'll keep you updated whenever Sean starts reading a new book. So we want to take a moment to share some listener feedback. We got a lot of feedback about library organizational systems. When Which we talk- I'm happy about. Yeah, when Jill, our friend Jill from um, Professional Book Nerds uh, came on to answer that question about the, like, libraries being organized more by genre, we got a, we got some feedback. So Allison said, I just wanted to share a librarian opinion in response to your reader question about non-Dewey call numbers. The call number mentioned was self-help personal growth, I think. This particular call number is part of a nonfiction cataloging system called Bizac. Uh, and like you thought, is intended to promote browsing of nonfiction categories. Non-library folks are much more likely to look for biographies as opposed to 920 and Dewey. Dewey is incredibly specific, but a lot of the time, patrons don't know specifically what they're looking for, just a vague notion. Bizac helps with that. My library system went through the conversion process from Dewey to Bizac about five years ago, and I just ran some stats. Our adult nonfiction circulation is up 31%, and our youth nonfiction circulation is up 19%. Pretty cool. Wow. Wow. Shelby wrote in about this as well and said, I work for a library system that uses BISAC, the BISAC system for not organizing nonfiction, and we switched from Dewey about six years ago, and I find that I actually prefer it. In general, it makes it easier to help people find a book they are looking for. In my experience, people often come in and look for a book about a certain topic rather than a specific book when it comes to nonfiction. With BISAC, we can easily direct them to the section they will find most helpful and let them browse available available titles newly engaged check out the wedding section want to get into gardening we have a section for that too i like this turned into an ad Uh, (laughs) the books are also broken down into subcategories so your browsing can get fairly specific when people do have a specific title in mind we can look it up for them or they can use the catalog computers to look up the call number for themselves. The call number for BISAC is only slightly more general than it was for Dewey, and it's pretty rare that two books have the same call number, especially compared to our fiction section, which is organized by last name. Looking for a specific James Patterson title is much more complicated. 
Most of our patrons prefer BISAC as well, aside from a few that have their favorite Dewey numbers memorized. It helps people be more self-sufficient in the library and overall works very well from us. for us. Did we get any other feedback where people were like, I don't like this system? Well, so that's so folks, keep stay tuned because we're going to actually end up doing a whole episode about this. We're going to bring our friend Adam from Professional Book Nerds on to talk about this because apparently there we've gotten some feedback about dewey himself and mr dewey mr dewey and uh the problems about the dewey decimal system so we're going to do a whole behind the scenes library dirt episode so stay tuned for that Uh, and you can email us at readingglassespodcast at gmail.com and if you want a list of all the books we talk about on the show delivered to your inbox every month plus a monthly book and snack and cocktail newsletter uh you can sign up and there's a link in the show notes. Also, quick couple bookmarks. Uh, first off, of course, you should be looking for the show Pandora on CW, mm-hmm. an episode directed by the talented I, Bria Grant. Directed episode 11. But you can tune in earlier than that. Yeah, <laughs> you can watch the whole dang thing. And I also want everyone to know that um, The Lady from the Black Lagoon, my book is finally out in large print, which is really, really cool. I didn't even know it was happening. All of a sudden, I just got a, I came home and I had a giant package on my desk for, um, and it was just full of large print books. Oh, cool. Uh, so, yeah, if you are a large print reader, you can now read later from Black Lagoon. Exciting. So, before we break down what a publisher is, we're going to take a quick break. You wept as we crafted the tragic tale of Jar Jar, a Star Wars story. Yeah. Dude, like he forgives Darth Vader. Lisa <laughs> still love you, Annie. <laughs> you gasped out loud at the shocking twists of Face Off 2. Face is wild. He takes his kid's face. What? <laughs> uh, we're writing an entire screenplay week by week on Storybricks Season 2, Heaven Heist. Hey folks, Freddie Wong here with some exciting news about Story Break, the writer's room podcast where three Hollywood professionals have one hour to spin cinematic gold. We're shaking up our format by turning Heaven Heist, one of our favorite ideas we've ever come up with on the show, into a full screenplay. Heaven Heist is an action comedy about a crew of misfit gangsters robbing the celestial bank of heaven. Think of Coco meets Point Break. Join us as we write this crazy movie scene by scene and get an inside look at the screenwriting process on our podcast, Story Break, every Thursday on MaximumFun.org. It's all about publishing. We talk a lot about publishers and publishing and throw around the names of publishers and imprints. But what does it all mean? What is a publisher? What's an imprint? Who the fuck is making all these books? Is it just like a bunch of goblins in a factory cranking Who's things? Who's making all these books? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, what's that fairy tale about the, the, the shoemakers? The little... You I the, truly don't know. You know, Ugh, anytime we try to talk about fairy tales, we fail. I know. Why are we you, so bad? You at and this? I are really no, bad. No, at no. This. There's a fairy tale where they're trying to figure out who's making the shoes in the middle of the night. There's the shoemakers, and they're like poor, and they need real help making the shoes. And they've discovered that a bunch of like fairies or goblins or something are like sneaking into the w- workshop in the middle of the night. Are you and thinking of the, the giant that goes, "Who's been <laughs> eating? Who's been making my <laughs> shoes? <laughs> what about that? Yeah. Are you thinking about the three bears? No. Who's been sleeping Shoemaker. in my bed? I'm reading. I'm looking this up right now. <laughs> Who? <laughs> Yells in the shoemaker. Yes. There's a it, it's a it's a grim fairy tale where the shoemaker's poor and he can't keep up with shoes and he needs more this money. Is some New England and a thing. bunch of elves come in and make him some shoes in the middle of the night. <laughs> but that's not what happens in publishing. Yeah, okay, <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm glad we figured that out. Unfortunately, there are no elves making books. That's probably true. Um, <laughs> how about some facts about publishing? The oldest publishing house in the world is 
Schwab or Schwabe, I don't Schwab. know. I hope it's Schwabe. <laughs> Based in Basel, Switzerland, which was founded in 1488. And they still publish about 60 books annually with a focus on humanities and medicine. It's pretty nice. Cambridge University has also been around for a long time since the 1500s. Um, another publisher I feel like is relevant to you, the largest Bible publisher. That's Great interest to you. Is called Zondervan Press. It's based in Michigan. Owns the exclusive rights to the new international version of the Bible, which is kind of crazy. That's like the one everyone reads, new international. I have a lot of questions about that, but I'm just going to skip right over them. Yeah, well, we the, that one and like the King James, I feel like, are the biggies. Um, uh, yeah, two different. There's The Bible has different versions and written. Some are like in old timey language where it's like, thou shalt blah, blah, blah. And then there's one that's like, Isn't the point of the Bible do- that it was like what Jesus said? Yeah, but they've like. It's not in Aramaic. They no, have I to know. translate it in some no, way. I know, but like if you change it, you know well, what? Yeah, but I mean, th- translation is like somewhat subjective. No, somewhat. I know. All right. And then they've like updated it to be like more modern. It's not like modern, like, like, like this. Jesus is- came down and was like, what's up, everybody? He's like, this is rad. <laughs> Check out my skateboard. You know what's rad? <laughs> Loving God. <laughs> Being kind to one another. <laughs> Don't fuck your neighbor's wife. Um, <laughs> that's not in the. No, it's like, it is still. Kind I of have a lot of other questions, but we could just. Move anyway, right they sell it in 200 different languages, new international version. Wow. Maybe there's different versions of it. But anyway, um, that's some facts about some publishers that we didn't know about. So, but what a publisher is, is basically it's a company that makes books. And by makes, we means like the whole book process. They acquire them from agents most of the time, maybe sometimes from the authors directly. They edit them. They copy edit them. They give them book covers. They market them. They publicize them. They get them printed. They distribute them. And they keep track of all the accounting so everybody gets paid. Like the whole kit and caboodle they do for books. And right now, there are five big publishers in the U.S. Simon & Schuster, HarperCollins. Penguin Random House, which used to be two separate ones, it used to be Penguin and Random House, mm-hmm. and then they merged together, uh, Hachette and then Macmillan. But when you look on the spines of books, you're going to see a lot of other logos and names. And that's because all of these five publishers have different imprints. Yeah, yeah. So imprint is basically a subgroup within a publisher that has its own set of editors and copy editors and art directors and publicists, usually so that imprint can focus on like one particular kind of book. So my best friend, Lauren Panapinto, is the creative director of Orbit Books, which is the sci-fi fantasy imprint of Hachette Books, because... You, like, if one publisher put out all their books under the same thing, it would just be, a, like, no one would be able to tell. They wouldn't, they'd be like, oh, like, right now, if I look at an Orbit book, I know it's a sci-fi fantasy book. Sure. In it, But if that wasn't the case, you wouldn't really be able to get the sense of what kind of book it was. Well, like, it's, it's just branding in any way, shape, or form, right? Like, yes. I mean, you go to the grocery store and you're like, this is a brand of vegan product that i enjoy and you know everything under that product will be vegan you know yeah. what i mean like you know i mean i love how you're desperately trying to make this about snacks it's always about snacks <laughs> it's always about snacks so for example like my publisher hanover square press is an imprint of harper collins but they i so i but i don't really talk, i don't talk to like the uppity ups at harper collins i talk to my editor who works on like at hanover square press does someone talk to the uppity ups at yes they have like michelle a obama or somebody yeah it's i work for michelle obama no, I mean like like if you're like that famous and you sell a book. No, I don't even think that. So it would be an, it would be an imprint. Yeah. Okay. Um. And so in all these imprints, they they answer to the larger corporate structure, but they have their own like creative and business goals. And most editors have their own tastes. And usually, imprints put out like a similar type of book, or like you know, an editor has like my editor does both fiction and nonfiction, but he has like his own stuff that he likes. Like he likes really narrative nonfiction. Um. 
certain types of literary fiction and I like know what kind of book something is going to be if Peter puts it out. Right. It's actually, they do this in the film world too, where like if you make a movie, you start your own company usually for that specific movie. That's actually the, a better analogy. Yeah. Like, like, and then a lot of like Sony has obviously like so many subsidiaries and you know like, oh, it's made by Marvel. It will be a Mar You know what I mean? Like yes. it's that kind of thing. But Marvel is owned by Disney and it's not necessarily a Disney Yes, movie, we know when sense. we when we go see a Marvel movie, we know there's probably not going to be any princesses in it, mm-hmm. which is if they're leaving money on the table. I mean, what about those princesses with superpowers? Call us Marvel. We are here to write <laughs> script. I have for a pitch. You. So, uh, so what does that mean for readers, though? And so for me, I pay close attention to imprints. I'm sort of a nerd about this stuff. Even before I became an author, I was very interested in like the nuts and bolts of publishing. Uh, and there are certain imprints that put out like weird fiction and horror that I know that there's a good chance I'll love. I'll pick up almost anything by FSG, which is owned by Macmillan. Uh, I love Mulholland books. I love William Morrow. And William Morrow does all like the Joe Hill and Paul Tremblay books. So mm. if I see – and I think they do – Lauren Bucus or Lauren Bucus might be on Mulholland, but like if I see either of those imprints on the spine of a book, like I know that I'm probably going to like them. And I think I think it's helpful if for a couple of reasons. One, I think it's helpful if you are a voracious reader who's always looking for new stuff, mm-hmm. and you know, and you've exhausted like you know book riots recommendation stuff or you know our recommendations and you're always looking for new books if you're um looking for new things that it can help be helpful with that and also when you're browsing in a bookstore and you can like see all the spines so when i'm like when i'm browsing especially in like a literary fiction section where it's just literary fiction but i can be like oh this book is probably going to be more thrillery this book's probably going to be more weird this book is might be like more romancy and so i think that's where it really comes into play and what about you bria do you i know you love tour.com Oh, yeah, I do love Tor.com, but I don't really stay up on the publishers in particular. Um, I do like Tor. Like, yeah, I definitely, like, keep up with their stuff. And, like, I will go – I mean, where it really helps with me is if I'm, like, just looking for something, I'll go browse their, like, website. So if there's a publisher you like, you can go look at their website. Yeah. Usually they have, like, a blog, and they're like, this is the newest book coming out. This is what, you know, we're putting out. And or you can kind of see the newest stuff. Or, like, newsletters if you want to yeah. subscribe to something like that. If you like a junkie inbox – which I do. Um, <laughs> Give me that spam. <laughs> more spam. More things that I can delete right first thing in the morning. <laughs> it does feel nice though when you just when you look at your inbox and it looks wicked full and then you delete a bunch of stuff and you're like, oh, I, look at all the work I did. Ugh, I'd rather have nothing in there. I like started unsubscribing. That's what I've been doing lately. Just like Marie even things I really like, email I unsubscribe. Box. What? Marie yeah, because yeah, otherwise I look at it and I'm like, I, I don't. Why am I reading these emails? Um. The one thing I try to do is that if it's a smaller publisher, I'm more likely to recommend it for my library. We talked about this yeah. in some section. Like if it's an independent publisher, because I know everyone is going to be recommending like a new Harper Collins book or like whatever that new book is. So as, if I'm, you know, because I recommend so many books to my library and I want to make sure that I'm recommending books that I actually want to read, but then also maybe books that other people aren't recommending, I try to go and look at the publisher, especially because you're limited on the number of books you can recommend every week. So like, you know, if I know I'm getting to my like, I think it's like five you can recommend or something, then I'm like, I'll, I'll just do the ones that I know won't be I there. feel like you're like the, the library version of like the little old lady that calls the newspaper every night to tell oh. them about all the stuff that is happening in the town. If there was a newspaper for me to call and tell them all the things that have happened in the town, I actually would do that. <laughs> this like is the- what happens every night when my fiance comes home. I sit down and I tell him everything. And there was a one point in, in our relationship where he said, you, know, you don't have to tell me everything you ate today. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> he's like, this is not interesting. <laughs> See, John can't unsubscribe from that. He like, then like, I woke up he, and I ate this, and then I did this, and then I went to the store. John is permanently <laughs> subscribed to the Daily Brea newsletter. <laughs> he would love to wake up and unsubscribe in the morning. But no, no. You have decided to spend your life with this. <laughs> you have made a strong choice. <laughs> so you can send your thoughts to Reading Glasses Podcast at gmail.com. And before we solve some reader problems, we're going to take a quick break. Hi there, I'm Winston Knoll, and I play a bunch of characters on Mission to Zix, an improvised science fiction podcast. And this is our incredible sound designer, Shane. Hello. Shane makes it possible for me to fill our galaxy with ridiculous characters. Such as the Grand Kulam of the planet Flirt. And the sentient starship, the Desel Marsh, man. And Bino. Bino love character actors with versatility. And Fredivan J. Ryan, Lone Shot. And of course, AJ2884, the defective clone trooper. Someone say clone? You call it well, I'm sure technically we're all clones. Shut up with that clone. Don't shut up. There are five other cast members, too, but I sort of feel like I'm the alpha. Okay, that's fine. The season finale of Mission to Zix is coming up next week, so this is the perfect time to dive in and catch up with our intrepid crew as they explore the Zix Quadrant. Give Mission to Zix a listen on Maximum Fun. Now, let's take a recommendation request from Wendy. In the summer, I read Into the Wild by John Krakauer, and it, and it swallowed my heart whole. The story of Chris McCandless has been haunting me since, and I want to find more books in the same vein. In case neither of you have read it, it's the true story of a young man who wanted to escape modern society, so he disappeared into the Alaskan wilderness, where he survived for months before eventually succumbing to starvation. I'm looking for similar reads with that person getting lost in the wilderness to find themselves vibe. I've never heard someone read succumbing to starvation in such a positive manner that you just did. He just found himself <laughs> out there. And then he there. found himself and succumbed to starvation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the ultimate goal of Nirvana is to just die. Oh, um, I didn't actually read that book. I saw the movie. I read the book in school. Did you? Yeah. Made me very horrifying. afraid of eating berries. Yeah. That really bummed me out in the movie. It's very sad. Yeah. I mean, it's just a sad story in general. It's a great movie. Um, yeah, I have a, I have a recommendation. Um, <laughs> you, uh, it's not a wilderness per se, but I think it'll check the same boxes as this book does. Um, I'm going to recommend, I think I've recommended before in the show, a book called Catfish and Mandala by Andrew X. Pham. It's a memoir about um, an author who goes to Vietnam and it's sort of him looking for himself, him dealing with some grief, um, uh, about when his sister committed suicide, um, and he decides to take a bike ride across the country. He is a biker. Like, he's biked across other places like as well. like a biking memoir. Yeah, but, like, it's really... I haven't read it. I read it, like, over 10 years ago, but it's still really st- stuck with me because um, he's, like, trying to ride the bike through, like, the sand sometimes. It's, like, it's really difficult. And it sort of goes back and forth between him doing this sort of difficult thing. It's not the wilderness, but it's, like, across Vietnam. Yeah. Um, and goes back and forth to him and his uh, his parents as they were coming up in their um, courtship. Also, his father was held prisoner by the Viet Cong, and then they wow. um, escaped Vietnam, and, like, their whole um, their whole journey and sort of his journey at the same time. And it's, like, it's a great book, and also, like, I think it's that, like, sort of, like, man versus nature versus finding yourself journey yeah. that this person is looking for. Um, that sounds, yeah, that sounds like a good fit. Yeah, what do you think? What do you, what do you recommend? I've actually, I recommended it on our nature show, but I think this book also fits in the same category. I think Wendy should read Never Cry Wolf by Farley Moat. 
so it's nonfiction. It's about it's about so the author Farley Moet. He was sent into the Canadian wilderness uh, to observe a wolf pack and gather information that supported a government effort to kill wolves. Like the government was like, okay, we really want to eradicate these wolves. We need, but we need biological data to in support. America. No, it's Canada. Okay. Uh, but that's something okay. that that America did too. Um, so he goes off and finds his wolf pack and spends like a year with them. And but what he observed ended up going completely against what the like the idea that wolves are dangerous and what the like it went completely against what the government wanted him to do. Mm-hmm. And the author ends up he completely marrying a wolf. Yep, that's Falling how. Love and man. that's my parents. <laughs> uh, uh, but he yeah he ends up changing his lifestyle he changes for the better for the better as a person and becomes like a naturalist and like a wolf like a wolf conservationist um but so it's like him surviving in the wilderness um finding himself being outside changing his own his opinions being outside being outside actually is the key to these books it's true and for us this is a big deal being outside (laughs) it's really true uh it's a wicked good book so that's never cry wolf by farley moat and minus catfish and mandala by andrew foam so you can send your recommendation request to readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. So it's time to look at a bookish problem from one of our listeners. Terry writes in, I have a Goodreads dilemma. In addition to participating in the annual reading challenge, I do love to write reviews for all the books I read, including those I do not finish. I have gotten less and less bothered by not finishing books as I've gotten older because time is short, my friends, and there's too much good stuff to read to waste time on stuff I'm not enjoying in some way. But is it okay for these two quote-unquote count, as in quote-unquote hot pastrami, which when I read this email i laughed very hard um as read they will show this way unless i remove reading date info not sure what bothers me more counting a book i didn't finish or losing track of when it was that i gave it a try bria what do you think terry should do so i see i see it took me a while to understand what the dilemma is too so you're putting them up like as currently reading or something like that and then you have to change it to either read or delete it entirely Right? Yes. That's the way Goodreads would work. Yes. Um, I actually tested this last night because I was like, well, what happens if you press something else? Which you can't. So you can press like – you can review it and then you can press um, currently reading yeah. to read or read. Yeah. It's you, want to read, currently reading, or have read. Right. And you have to choose one of those yes. if you write a review. That's the problem. Yeah. Okay. So I, so this is a, this is a, a true dilemma. Yes. Because I understand you want to write down that like, oh, I didn't get into this book and I couldn't finish it or something like that. I mean, so my suggestion is you're going to have to make a new shelf because you can. Yeah. And make it unread or didn't finish or whatever. And then I'm going to say you have to choose. You're going to have to Can't like. Did you put notes in? I didn't notice if you could do notes. I'm going to look right now. I, you have. I'm so you, afraid to go on goodreads.com. I, well, you want to go on mine? No, it's all right. Although I will say. In the middle of all of this, I had I, I was actually looking at Goodreads for this. This is how much I love the Reading Glasses listeners. I was mm-hmm. looking at Goodreads for help to help answer this question, and I did look. And Lady from the Black Lagoon is almost eighteen hundred reviews. Wow! So to everybody who has reviewed Lady from the Black Lagoon, I love you. You are a wonderful person, and you've made my day, and I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right, um, I'm, I'm going to look while you are doing this because okay, I think we can both agree. You can't count a book you didn't finish. No. Terry. No, if you got like 75% of the way through the book, I'm fine with you counting it. It's like very close. If you get like, if you're mostly through it and you're just like, you know what? I, I don't think you should have to finish a book, but you're like most of the way there. You don't have to read it till the last page. If you're, if you're going to give up on it because you're just kind of over the book, that's fine. Totally fine. You can count that book. 
but this person either wants to count the book they want they want to write the review and know that they wrote it but they don't want to count the book and it's a true dilemma do you have a suggestion for this because i don't know what to say except you can have a thing that says unread and then you can subtract those or like didn't finish put it in your red pile and then at the end of the year you have to subtract the ones that you didn't read but well, your I, public one will say, include those like how many you read because that's the thing about goodreads is it'll have like you participated in this reader challenge and you read a hundred of a hundred books or whatever hold on right now i'm looking to see if you can do anything beyond yeah you're right yeah you can only do you can only write a review which you've read it and i get it from an author perspective that makes sense um but yes okay first off terry you can't count them as read yeah the the book the world the book karma will 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 look badly upon you but i don't know if terry is counting them as red as so much as that terry wants to mark them as red because terry has to mark them as one way or the other yes so i i think you can't mark them as red and then this is the pro this is one of the problems i have with goodreads um what i think that terry should do and i think maybe part of it is i think well i i think if terry is doing all this for their own satisfaction i have tips if you're doing it so to to participate in the social media aspect of goodreads that's more of a problem i think what terry should do is in addition to goodreads start another paper journal which is one of the many reasons why i have my own paper journal top secret that bria will be burning upon my death Mm -hmm. um if you're frustrated by by wasting the time and you're like oh i like i read 200 pages of this book and i didn't like it um try maybe setting a yearly page count and like every book you read write i i used to do this write how many pages it is and if you didn't finish it still write down how many what page you stopped on Hmm. so by the end you can count like i read a million pages this year Mm -hmm. and that way it still counts because it is kind of annoying when you're as a reader when you're like wow i put like i put like three hours into this book yeah like uh you know i'm not even gonna finish i can't even count um and that way in the book you in, in your paper journal you can write I only read 200 pages. I stopped here. I read it this many days and I, this is why I didn't like it. And then, uh, if you really want to get organizational about it, like in my current reading journal right now, I highlight in green every single new release. So at the end of the year, I can look down, Oh, all the green things. These are how I can quickly count all the the 2019 books I read. Mm -hmm. Maybe you could do like, if I wanted to do this, I would get a blue highlighter and highlight all the books I didn't finish. Make sure it's blue. Make sure it's blue. Because if you do another color, it's going to be confusing. It's going to be very confusing. (laughs) Uh, But I I don't think this this solves the Goodreads dilemma. It doesn't solve the Goodreads dilemma. But I get what you're saying. But we actually are going to be testing out even more apps. We have a flood of people writing in about book tracking apps. Mm. So we're going to be testing out more things. But again, this is another problem for Goodreads that is tough. But I think to solve this problem... You count. I think you have to count them. If you're going to write the review and you have to choose where to put them, I think you have to put it under red. And then at the end of the year, you personally just going to have to subtract it and know how many books you read. I think that's what you have to do because yeah. you otherwise because you have to choose one of those three shelves or just not. You what I would do. What I always used to do is I would only put. I would only Goodreads books that I finished. So before I, I wouldn't even touch Goodreads until I had already finished the book. But I would also keep a paper journal. But I think Terry likes to write them for re- books that they did not finish. Yeah, well, awesome. that's, that's what I mean. If Terry's doing it for the – if you're using Goodreads for the social part, if Terry wants other people to read these reviews, yeah. that's a problem. But if it's just for your own personal satisfaction, I think maybe Goodreads is not either not, not the app for you. Maybe you need to do a, a home journal or a 
a digital spreadsheet or mm-hmm. one of the other apps we've talked about on here. I think I'm um, also like, I do appreciate when someone is like, I just couldn't finish this book. Like, I do kind of want to know that information. So I do appreciate that kind of review sometimes. Well, that yeah, I think it's a Goodreads problem because I, I, I definitely would want to know, um, like, especially if a book has like some triggers in it. Like if someone's like, hey, mm-hmm. there's a really upsetting scene on page 175. Mm-hmm. I stopped reading here. Mm-hmm. You know, that would be helpful for somebody. I think Goodreads should maybe add another feature that's like a de- do not finish, like mm-hmm. did not finish DNF market, and then you could write a review that way. Hmm. Uh, Goodreads hit us up for the free tips. You got lots of tips over here. If you want some reading glasses consulting, but I think I think ter- ultimately Terry probably needs to, depending on what their ultimate goal is, if it's either social or tracking, uh, find a different either review app or or a journal or something. All right. Terry, hopefully that hopefully that is helpful to you in some way. Uh, so if you want us to solve your reader problem, you can send it to readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. As always, we want to thank Danielle and Kathy who run our Facebook group and Chrissy and Rachel who moderate our Goodreads page. Remember, if you want to look sexy and show off your love of books and help us feed our cats, you can buy Reading Glasses tote bags and shirts and bookmarks in the Maximum Fun store. There's a link in the show notes. And if you like the show and want to do something nice for us for free, you can rate and review us on iTunes. It's really great for us. It helps us reach more listeners, helps us get cool guests, helps us look cool, which is extremely important. You can email us at Reading Glasses Podcast at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at Reading G Podcast, on Instagram at Reading Glasses Podcast. And you can always follow along on our bullshit adventures using the general hashtag Reading Glasses Podcast. Thanks for listening and thanks, thanks for, for reading. reading. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.